This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today I am honored to welcome Alessandro Giuliani to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Alessandro Giuliani, what are you laughing? It's going well so far. Hello. Hello, Sabrina. All I did was say your name. You said oh. it beautifully. Alessandro Hello, Giuliani. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. What please, you got? Please don't laugh again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Alessandro Giuliani is many things and beloved for many things, for his acting work on stages on both sides of the Atlantic in productions of classical and brand new work, including multiple takes on Henry V, for his performances as a voice actor in basically everything I've ever watched with my child, including multiple Barbie movies, Dinosaur Train, Super Monsters, and now that my child is a preteen, Death Note, for his nuanced on-camera work on iconic shows like Battlestar Galactica, Smallville, and The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, that's my name, for his work as a composer on numerous projects, including Agam Darshi's brilliant feature film directorial debut, Donkey Head, and for sound designing the historic 2012 production of King Lear that starred August Schellenberg and Lorne Cardinal at the National Arts Center in Ottawa. Lorne actually spoke about that production when he joined us for what became a two-part interview because he told a lot of stories. And also for being a member of a family dedicated to fostering the arts in Vancouver and Canada. So I want to talk about all of it today. Okay. What inspires his work? When is he happiest? How has this changed over the course of his career? And what did he think of Gaeta's betrayal and end? Alessandro Giuliani, welcome to the Wavera Screen Scene Podcast. That's uh, an incredible intro. Uh, I'm, is it I true? Feel very, I feel very welcome. All of it, all of everything you said were facts. Yes, factual. They were factual. I yeah. didn't include that you are a tennis player as well. I had your uh, tennis oh, yeah. friend in here. Yes, avid yeah. te avid tennis player and fan. Yeah. Um, and often play spar with various people, not all in the industry, but uh, a few that may you may be familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Are you good? You any good? Uh, I got a good serve. Yeah. Got a good serve. <laughs> Getting old now. Well, you know, older. 
Yeah. So young bucks can, you know, run down the balls. And if the rally goes too long, then they get in trouble. But Shit. I don't know why I mentioned tennis. I don't know sports at all. <laughs> Serve is when you, it begins, right? Yes. Yeah. It's the, it's the beginning of the conversation. Okay. Well, then. Just like this. Yeah. <laughs> You served. I served. And I have returned. Now you're running up and down with that. Or no, that's me that's running. How do you describe yourself? How do you think about yourself? Introduce yourself. Who uh, the hell are you? Uh, it's me. Um, I'm AJ. That's what people call me. Uh, maybe a lifetime of people mispronouncing my name. How do they? As, uh, how do they get it wrong? Segue to that. Alexandro, Alejandro. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Alej they've said anything, you know. Even Alejandro. Ale wow. Alejandro. Yeah, they just make it up in their heads. Yes. But they do it with flair usually. They think they're nailing it. Oh, but but I actually nailed it? Nailed it. Okay, that's so good. good. I did practice so a little bit. Um, and I will continue to call you Alessandra because I don't feel like I know you well enough to call you AJ yet. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, maybe by the end of the interview. Yeah, yeah. no. I'm just a guy. I don't know. I'm a I'm a West Coast kid. Uh, I'm a nepo baby. Is that what people call them? I th very very recently. Yeah. that's like a thing. Wow. Yeah, well, you're thing. up on things like that then. I'm super up on the stuff, <laughs> on the the things. On yeah. the things. Hashtag oh, yeah. nepo baby. You really mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. I didn't name check um, your parents, but we're talking about Donna Wong Giuliani and John Giuliani. Yeah. Uh, I mean, theater artists, producers, opera founders. Yeah, only child. Oh, um, oh I got yeah. one of those. You got one of those. <laughs> good times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Um, you know, artsy, 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 artsy family. Um, you know, so grew up totally immersed in that world, um, and also in the world of of sound later on because my dad was at CBC, CBC Radio, and he was a radio drama producer. Back That's when how you know where to put your, where, where do you, I mean, also you're, I know you're a voice actor as well, but yeah. you know, you're right up there in the mic. Yeah, I'm right in there. I'm yeah. right inside this mic. Radio dramas, um, wow. Yeah, radio drama. So I like, I grew up, you know, around, immersed in various artistic pursuits and like flights of fancy. So I think that it was a really natural segue into me exploring those things too as I grew up. I'm not satisfied with that answer, okay, Alessandra. Go, let's go I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, because I I have a twelve year old. Oh my god, I can't believe I have a twelve year old. Yeah, good for you. I have yeah. a ten year old. Oh my god. And two seven and a half year olds. Oh my god. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I should have brought out the vodka or something. <laughs> Again, you can start calling me AJ in a half hour and we'll do yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Anytime. Um, but, you know, I find that with my child that they have this, you know, it, they're they're not multi-hyphenate. They have a very clear idea of what they want, you know, and it's, it's very singular-minded. I actually, I, I, I have a lot of respect for that level of, like, passion and drive, you know. So, but, mm. so you growing up... And granted, I understand you're growing up in this artsy family as the only child, but were you like, I'm going to grow up and do a little bit of everything? Or were you like, I want to be a... Because, you know, kids, mm -mm. right, they make declarations. I still don't want to be a... Insert whatever. Like, huh. uh, no, I was not... I was definitely not singularly minded as a kid. I was, I was pretty amenable only. Like, I just sort of went with the flow. And I had two parents who were like 
in very different ways forces of nature, right? So I think instinctively, or maybe it was like just in my DNA innately, I just went with the flow. Like I just would ride whatever wave was happening at the time um, and soaked it all up yeah. over time too, right? So I, I yeah, I think that's, I think that's the origin story. The origin, ooh, you're bringing it into the genre stuff yeah. as well. What about uh, the content that you were devouring as a child? What books were you reading? What movies were you watching? Plays? I mean, I'm mm -hmm. sure you were exposed to everything. Oh, yeah. You know, what were you soaking up? I, all of it. I mean, uh, yeah, plays for sure, because um, I, my dad was always directing something and so, uh, you know, I literally was a, a box office baby. Like I was sleeping under the box office mm -hmm. at some experimental piece they were doing in some art gallery or something, you know. Um, my parents lived a, a very, um, yeah, I would say a, an unusual life in that, you know, they, they were known in the city, but they were known for, and my dad particularly was known as something of a, a rebel and someone who worked outside of the system and railed against the system and was mm. banned from various campuses at various times in the 60s and 70s for, you know, doing outrageous things, uh, standing up for what he thought was right. Um, and so, yeah, like growing up around that kind of energy and that kind of force, Again, like you, 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 uh, you learn to listen <laughs> when you have um, uh, such loud voices around you all the time. You know. What came first, theater or film and TV work, or oh. music composition, or voice? Like, how, do you see like why I want to figure this out? Okay, sure. I'll okay. I'll try to clarify it for you a little bit. Um, <laughs> What came first <laughs> was singing, was choir. Really? Yeah, for sure. Um, like, if you go back to, um, I grew up in Edmonton for some formative years, just long enough to be a hardcore Oilers fan. Then we moved here when I was. Uh, boo. Yeah, I yeah. don't know sports, but I know it's I okay. should say boo. No, right? you should say um, you should have good taste in teams. Not anyway. Let's not go there. This is oh. not sports radio. Uh, <laughs> we moved here when I was seven or eight, and um, and then I obviously had some aptitude and some interest in music in general. I'd taken piano lessons, but they saw something or heard me singing or whatever, and they suggested or put me into a choir. Uh, a couple of choirs in town and one of them was this very strange well now i think of it it was strange it wasn't at the time it, it was called the british columbia boys choir okay yeah um and it was in west vancouver we grew up i grew up in horseshoe bay and it was run by this man don forbes who was the the conductor of the united church there and he ran this choir um boys choir soprano alto and then older boys as tenors and basses. And I was 10 years old and I auditioned for it and I got into the choir. Yeah. Uh, there was about 30 of us. For whatever reason, this choir, I mean, we were pretty good, but whatever. And you're an had, SATB choir. I was, I'm an SATB choir. I was an S. I was I had the voice of an angel, like oh, wow. truly cherubic, like super high oh. soprano voice. Yeah. yeah, Ave Maria and all that shit. Um, for whatever reason, this choir had a huge following in Holland 
don't I still I mean I know the World War II stuff like liberation and all there was some connection there I don't know there was some weird you know um, connection to this choir so we would go to Holland every other summer for three months and sing in every like giant cathedral in Holland oh. for like literally thousands of people and like we were like weird choir rock stars like the people would line up to sign lps like of us you know like it was so the as a kid experience. you're writing like i was signing an lp of the british columbia boys choir records and cassettes for dutch people um so that was my first sort of exposure to both like performance in some ways like singing because i was a soloist so i'd sing solos in these giant cathedrals beautiful amazing it was incredible right yeah. and also with weirdly with like semi-celebrity yeah. like and fandom and fandom yeah because there was all these you know dutch girls and you know uh, some of all ages yeah um coming and lining up to Ladies like the boys choir from isn't that weird now i i must ask because you said you started uh, as a soprano. Oh, yeah. um, were you in the choir, uh, still in the choir, when your voice changed? All the way through. So, wow. And so did yeah. you move S-A-T-B? Or? I literally went S-A-B-T-B-T-B. I think we went back and forth. Yeah. I ended up as a B. But um, yeah, I, I went through. I, I grew up in that choir. Um, and we went to Holland. If you can imagine, the first summer I went, I was 10 then 12, then 14, and then 16. So you can imagine that that 16-year-old trip, um, <laughs> let's, just say, let's just say all the vices were, um, wow. all those boxes were checked. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I did a little bit of uh, some voice study. Yeah. Uh, I, I got almost up to my uh, ARCT in voice oh, performance. Great. Um, Royal Conservatory of Music. Beautiful. Uh, you know, so it's whatever. It's whatever. Uh, so I'm curious about your identity because you mentioned that you went from being a soprano and a soloist to, you know, S A T B T B T B T. Were you able, were you the same kind of singer, you know, when you were uh, on the, the other part of the S A T B? I guess were you as good? I was I as good. I'm sure there was I, there was probably like a awkward couple of years where I I, I was caught in the like uh, in between voice break, you know. But the great thing about the choir is that you know he would always try to find a spot for you that would work and yeah. Um, and then I ended up being a soloist as a bass or as a baritone eventually. Look at you, Only so then child, shining okay. star. Yeah, <laughs> charmed life. I and then you know and so that segued into. Um, uh, Montreal and McGill oh. for opera. So I went like after I graduated high school, I went to opera school for five years and studied how you know all of that business. Realized a couple of years into that degree, because let's be frank, I went there because I wanted to live in Montreal. So fun! Uh, come on, seventeen in Montreal. Yeah. Let's go. Um, realized a couple of years into that degree, pretty clearly that. I was way more interested in hanging out with the jazz guys and gals and, you know, wandering the plateau in uh, drug-induced stupors than, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, dedicating myself in the sort of Olympian level yeah. that it requires. 
Um, Entire body is your instrument, right? Like oh, it's no incredible, and it is an incredible still. feeling to sing, as you may know, with like an orchestra or with oh, a band, yeah. like singing acoustically like that. And again, it's another like moment of total focus and also just riding a, a wave. Oh yeah, like just letting it go. Anyway, um, even though that was a cool feeling, um, I knew that I couldn't just do what they wanted me to do, which was to go straight into a master's and then like, you know, start auditioning and do all that. So. And then head to Europe. Yeah. Um, so I have a friend, that's what she did. She went to McGill. Amazing. And then Great. she went to Europe and yeah. that's her life. Yeah. And if that's what Incredible you want to do. life. Power to you. Great. Amazing. Um, but I finished my degree and then um, eventually schlepped my way back out here. Um, I had done a little bit of stuff. I'd done some voice stuff. So that's one path. The music side is one one track. At the same time, I had done some voice acting when I was a teenager as well no as, way. as a kid. I'm actually surprised by that. Although maybe because of, I should be now that I know that your dad was doing audio dramas and stuff. But I would have, because a lot of people come to voice work after. Yeah, you know, no, I'm on one of the originals. Stuff. I'm one of the OG Vancouver voice actors, along with like, I don't know, Gary Chalk and Ian Corlett and, and some of these folks have been around forever yeah. there was a cartoon called captain and the game master that uh, was a saturday morning cartoon on nbc my god remember and saturday morning cartoon hell yeah <laughs> kids these days destination viewing yeah. um and i got a got the gig i had done like one or two nepo baby gigs with my dad on like a playing a you know something or some kid and some radio show Canadian heritage moment show or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, I booked this gig uh, it's funny because you said because of the voice break thing my voice had just broken so I had this weird like ah, like goofy wobble and it was the exact voice I they wanted it. I love it so I ended up playing Kid Akaris on this show for a few seasons and uh, I paid my tuition through McGill for with that Fantastic. moolah okay. and so I had that little bit of experience and I'd been on an episode of MacGyver, <laughs> the Christmas special, you know, unforgettable Christmas special. You're on MacGyver Christmas special. Big time. Okay. Yeah. I played Julio, the piano playing street kid. I had like two lines. It was amazing. Wait, I'm sorry. I have not, I, I don't recall seeing that episode. How could you not? How could you have missed it? I know. I know. Um, was he, did you actually play the piano? Like, were you I lugging did. a plan I had, piano I had, I had, I, I, on I, the street? Like, I'm just, I, it was at the shelter. The piano was at the shelter. Okay. okay. Um, you know, for at risk youth. Mm -hmm. um, MacGyver saved the homeless shelter or the at risk shelter. Of course he did. Um, With paperclip. Uh, yeah, and some duct tape. And um, I'm not going to say it was like a high action episode. You know, it was a feel gooder. Yeah. Played some Christmas carols. Um, yeah. So I'd had a little bit of experience too. Yeah. And I, you know, then I, the musical track was something else. But then I, I did have some, I had some connection to come back to after McGill in Montreal. Um, and I was able to kind of get those connections, stoke those again and get an agent again or you know, remind the agent that I used to have that I was now older. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then just started giving her. What did the industry do with you right away? And I, I asked this as um, somebody who is uh, Ukrainian and South Asian. Mm -hmm, we talked about the mm -hmm. and before recorded. Yeah. And I've had friends who have been in the industry 
a, a long time. And I remember one friend, he he passed away in 2015, but he was um he was Persian and uh and English from Manchester. And his agent was like, I don't know what to do with you. You know, you're so talented, you're an action star, you're beautiful, and your voice is amazing, but we don't know what to do with you. You know, so how did your your ethnicity, you know, your mixed ethnicity impact your experience, you know, in this industry, and as somebody who's also, I guess, this is my one of my, one of my patented two for one questions, was your experience with that different in theater? Oh, interesting. Um, okay, the first part. Yeah, <laughs> part one. Yeah, oh, of course, it was. It's it was a sort of strange and impactful time, and it's it's so different now. Things have changed so much, which is also really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm my, my dad was Italian. My mom is Chinese. Um, I grew up with my name, Alessandro Giuliani, but I grew up around my Chinese family far more mm. um, because they're all out here in BC. The, the Italian folks were back east. Uh, so that was the culture that I was, uh, you know, more immersed in. That was the food that I ate. My pois was here. She, you know, would be the one who would be dropping off the black bean sparrows every week and all of that jazz. And what? Yeah, right. And and so wow. that was the family. That was the the cultural life. But because of the way I look and because of my name, um, as I was beginning my actual career as a semi grown up, um, that was not. It was not something that I hid at all. But my hmm. My ambiguity in those early years was, I think, um, uh, to my benefit. Mm. Because in those times, I could be kind of anything. Yeah. Which is a strange thing to say. And, I'm, and you know, especially today um, where there is such a, a long overdue emphasis on, on actually representing the world yeah, around us with yeah. people that are from those backgrounds. I played things that I would never play today. Yeah. You know. Did you ever play a character that was Italian and Chinese? Never. Never. No. I never played anyone who was Chinese and I may have played some people who were Italian. I'm trying to I can't yeah. think them off the top of my head. But I played everything in between, Sabrina, yeah. like everything under the sun, you know, um Persian uh you know, uh, Latinx. Um, you played South Asian. Uh, did I ever play South Asian? No, not on camera. Um, you know, I mean that—that's a whole other world, is the voice world, right? Too. Yeah. Um, where anyone could be anyone for the longest time, but most of the people were white dudes. <laughs> Talking about your uh, being seen and viewed and more closely associated with your Itali Italian side um, while being raised more in your Chinese. I really, mm -hmm. I resonate, that resonates with me as somebody who, you know, I have my my uh, maiden name. What a stupid word, a maiden name. Maiden. But it's Sabrina oh. Rani Mera. Like it's an Indian name. My, just mm. my parents up there, my dad's Indian. Uh, my mm. mom's Ukrainian. But mm -hmm. I was raised more with my Ukrainian, you know, with my Ukrainian family. Yeah, the maternal uh, side. The maternal side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've never once been, you know, be like, oh, you're you. I own it now for sure. I know who I am. But there was like, it was like my Ukrainianness was invisible for so long. And in that, you yeah. know, 
had a little bit of a identity crisis. <laughs> I'm not even an actor. That's just me being like, who am I and where do I belong and stuff like what? Did you have those kind of conversations with your with yourself along the way? Um, I never. It, yeah, not identity crisis, um, but, you know, lots of um, well, lots of experiences, especially, let's say, 20 years ago, because I've been doing this for a long time now, um, where I was faced with um, choices and faced with either like you know am i going to take this role as this terrorist um of from a nondescript place you know but obviously uh meant to you know um represent all of the middle east or something because it's the summer and i'm tanned and i can pass for this and you know navigating that as a young actor um mm -hmm. where again it's it's hard to say no um you want the credits you want the experience yeah, um, it's hard. I, I'm sure that if I was faced with those same decisions now, I might make some different decisions, yeah. without a doubt. Especially in the early years of the career, where you just want, yeah, yeah, you just want to say yes to everything, right? Yeah, you just want to work. You want, just, you just want to work. Um, but yeah, because of how I appear too, like it's interesting. I've often wondered if I, my name was Alessandro Wong, or AJ Wong, what would the trajectory of my career have been? It would have been different or the same um, because my I was ethnically, and I still am somewhat ethnically ambiguous as to what I appear to pass as, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a bit of a stealth Nick. People don't know where to put me. Oh, solidarity, brother. So Do you have people come up to you and be like, where are you, what, what are you? Oh yeah, so many times, especially <laughs> back in the day, right? Constantly. Yeah. And, and you would get, you would be witness to, and sometimes the direct recipient of um, like, total racism yeah. right because they assumed you weren't that yeah i had this crazy i had this crazy thing happen to me <laughs> um where i was i was getting a cab to set and um i got this got in the cab as a, a white cab driver older guy and started talking and he started going off about his neighbors and uh, the chickens in their yard and the smells coming from their kitchen. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it just got a little bit more as a, I sort of was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Um, it was before, you know, phones and I could have just put my headphones in and forgot. Anyway, uh, he started ranting more and more. By the end of the drive, it was like full on, oh, the Chinese, you know, they come uh. over from here. Blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, um, do I say something? Do I not? Do I just get out of the cab? I got out of the cab. Mm. Three days later, I had to take a cab to set. It was like the cosmos conspired this moment for me to be like, here's your second chance. Yeah. Same cab driver. Literally the ancestors are being like. Literally, literally. <laughs> Try again, buddy. Yeah. It's like, you know, take two, go. Yeah. And so this time, you know, it didn't take too long. He was ranting about something else. And this time I had, I said something to him. You have to be careful. You don't know who you're talking to. I told him who I was. And then the rest of the drive he was silent. And I got out of the cab. So, And that yeah. was the last time you saw him, right? And that, and yeah. then, um, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And then he turned out to be my neighbor. He's yeah. a great guy. <laughs> we watch football together. No. Um, oh, wow. He's my tennis partner. I just, it, it, I mean, that's, 
I'm I'm glad that you'd had that opportunity and that you felt safe enough to to say that. I wish that um, we didn't have to be people's educations, though. And yet at the same time, like, you know, there's people are dying and they're being, you know, I mean, what did they say that hate crimes against Asians in Vancouver have gone up three thousand percent since COVID? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can insert, you know, um, all other kinds of ethnic groups around the world, depending on where you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think without a doubt, things are more exposed than they've ever been in all their beauty and ugliness, both sides, right? Yeah. So And we have more language to talk about it. We have way more language, we have way more tools. Yeah. And um yeah, so here I am, um, happily a half breed, haha. Um I mean and I was very aware of this growing up too and then you know when I became I started to work and um, you know sort of in and around when Battlestar came along uh, I I incorporated I got a company mm-hmm. and I was trying to think of a name for my company and I ended up calling it Wink Chop Wink Chop Productions and the reason for that is because I'm half chink half blop wow so that gives you a sense of you know the sort of level that I was playing back then anyway. Wow. Yeah. Kind of love that. Well, like it's very it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like when I saw I think it was New World Theater did a Mixie and the Half Breeds. Yeah, yeah. Many yeah. years ago and I remember like those terms like I hate but it's like no to sit in it I'm like no we got to talk through this. Mm-hmm. You know, and we can actually have discourse with each other, communion with each other and help each other on this journey. You know, I did notice in, in going through your filmography, and I, I love that I say it like, oh yeah, I was going, I was researching. I've just seen you in like so many things that I love to watch. That, you know, and you I mean, you can tell from looking at this room, I love, I mean, I love sci-fi. I love fantasy. That's like, uh-huh. that's where I'm, that's where I'm happiest, I think, as, a, as an audience member. And I think a lot of it is because even 20 or 30 years ago, where they didn't know how to put people who look like us, they could imagine us in the future, mm-hmm. or we got to be an alien from some planet somewhere. You know, have you found like that might be a reason that you you have, uh, especially early on, you know, ended up um, finding a home in genre work? Could be. I've never, yeah, I, I've never totally considered that. It always just considered it as as being that so much of that genre was filming here you know, proportionally. Yeah. Um, which was why I ended up in so many of those kinds of shows. But no, I think you're onto something there too. Um, well, for sure you are when I think of, you know, uh, of, you know, the Battlestar, some of the shows where it was clear we had, um, as a species, moved on from those yeah. kinds of prejudices, you know? There yeah. were other prejudices that so stood in for those. <laughs> That's the joy of sci-fi and fantasy, right? Like we can take stuff from here, place it on there, work it out there, bring it back here. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about Battlestar. Is that okay? Can yeah, sure, this, sure, sure. I mean, as you can see from my wall, who have I had? I've had Tomo, I've had Rika, oh, yeah. I've had uh, had Candace, uh-huh. and then other people who have you know had guest roles and uh, popped on for some cool arcs and stuff. So. God, where do we even? What do you want to talk about? Where do I mean, want to talk it's like about? a whole yeah. podcast on its own, right? Yeah. Battlestar. Many a podcast has been. I, I, I think a good place to start is at the beginning then. You know, what kind of expectations or hopes or fears 
did you bring with you to Battle Scar? Battle Scar. Battle wow. Scar. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That was a slip. You know, and did you did you know that you were part of something very special? Because um, you know it. Yeah, like I, I'm yes. not telling you this is not a revelation. Oh, no, no, no. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. This is very special. No. Uh, I knew that this was different from any gig that had happened before, to me anyway. Um, and, but it's funny. Yeah. Very quickly, it becomes just part of your life, mm. right? And you can never fully appreciate when you're in something, working on it or, you know, in the, the subsequent years, you can never fully appreciate until later how, how special it was. Yeah. I'm sure the other actors have echoed this, that, you know, um, to, when you have someone like Eddie um, or Mary and they're telling you that it's special, you listen and you you can understand that but it's not really not until much later like until i was you know more grown up hmm. that i can look back and be like holy shit what a lucky fucker like come on to to have that experience 15 minutes away from my where i lived yeah you know um to literally learn on set for five or six or however many years we were doing that show. Wait, um, you went to like Battlestar University. You did your master's and PhD. I did my master's yeah. in Dreadus Contact and among other things. Yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> what were some things that you got to do as Gaeta that you had hadn't had the chance to do before? Oh my God, so much. <laughs> um, uh, it was the first time that I just really got to feel like I was part of a, a collaborative um, process and part of an ensemble and part of a family in the way that you do when you're on a show that long. Yeah. The and, words you're using, though, it you, sounds like you could almost be talking about like a theater troupe. Well, know, yeah, well. it was the first time I had that theater feeling in a, in a film setting, for wow. sure, for sure. It doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. It certainly doesn't happen when you're a guest star, or you're a day player, you're going coming on to something, you know, uh, parachuting in and out. Um, it's much harder to do. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like I, I always was drawn back to the theater because that is just, I don't know. It's my church. I think like it's like the the lights go down, the dark room. Whether I'm on stage or in the house, you know, on my headphones. Um, trying to orchestrate a moment or make something, you know, to buoy something up um, or give something some momentum. Yeah. It's where I feel um, like the most at peace in some ways yeah. is in that darkened hall yeah, or gym or wherever it is. Anything can be a theater. Warehouse, yeah. Yeah. Living room. Yeah. I love that you had that feeling on Battlestar. That's, I did. That speaks yeah. very highly to the environment that was there. It's it's all about the leaders, the leadership, right? We had incredible leaders on that show who recognized it in the moment, and um, and leaned in, and invested in all of us and all the young pups 
that had been plucked from obscurity and you know were um and they just settled us and they coached us and they um yeah they gave us such a gift with that whole thing and i you know that's ron moore that's eddie and mary the the mom and dad mama yeah. bear papa bear yeah, Rekha called um, him Uncle Eddie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, standing, standing invitation to stay in the coach house, AJ, anytime. You know, it's that sort of feeling, you know. Wow. Like, anytime. Yeah, just come down. Um, You're their legacy then, you know, and you carry that to other projects that you that you go on. That's incredible. Did you like Gata? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. liked Gata. Yeah. Um, Did I, you always I agree with him? Um, in some ways I, I sort of had to, even down to the bitter end, like I, you know, while his, while he chose his allies poorly, I think he went down still very much believing that he was in doing the right thing Yeah, and that he was, um, and I can't really argue with that on some level. Like I think right down to the mutiny i think he was doing it um for somewhat altruistic reasons yeah you know i left gata I, yeah gata gata is uh and is totally is birthed out of me right yeah um i am completely the other side of my brain than gata he's all science and order and logic and um and i am the other side without a doubt in terms of like what my aptitudes are um but i loved it i loved peeling back the layers of him over the seasons and revealing fun things and um yeah it was a sometimes tortured journey and sometimes fun and well the whole thing was fun but yeah yeah having writers write for you was a new phenomenon you know of like knowing that a writer was watching you do a little something you know maybe even in the background and then seeing something a thread from that carry on is that how we heard your voice you know that we got to oh no that's you heard my voice because um like this is also part of it right all things another thing I, i i discovered on that show is how much is made up on the fly <laughs> and how they're really well, well, yeah oh yeah even a show like that well, well even though <laughs> there's a bible for the show yeah and even though ron may have known maybe where he knew sort of where it was going to end up how you get there man oh man there were so many like you know sliding doors of of, of possibility that could have happened um this whole singing on the show thing that was such a a, a lark it was like almost a totally by chance like i think we were at a bar or a restaurant one night with a couple of the writers and it just came up a conversation that i've been to opera school they were like oh wow that's so cool we've always wanted to have like a character sing on the show hmm that's so cool yeah like oh i had this idea of you know like the kubrick film pass of glory like maybe we'll have everyone like singing in a trench or something and that was it maybe we just talked about that a little bit and then like a month and a half later, there was this script where all of a sudden Gata was singing. Wow. Um, that's how it happens. Next thing you know, I'm with Bear McCreary recording, you know, oh in a gosh. studio in L.A., you know, and on the Paramount lot and like, what? Um, so understanding that the most innocuous and casual conversation can lead to 
this massive thing. Yeah, be careful what you tell the writers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you tell them something, make sure you can deliver. Yeah, exactly. Did you mourn Gaeta or the experience when it was over? Um, I wasn't, I remember being like annoyed, not annoyed, just like ticked that I, that I had not made it to the end. I was mm. so close to the end of the series. And by then too, you know, um, for a little while, for many of us, it was like, oh, who's going to, who's, who who's going to be the last Cylon? Who's going to be the last Cylon? That was like the big, like, you know, lottery. Yeah. Um, so when I got the call from Ron, uh, or like, you know, please hold for Ron. This is Ron's assistant. Um, on that faded day, I was like, oh, is he calling because I'm going to be the last Cylon? But instead he was calling to say I was going to die. So, but at least he <laughs> called me, which some people didn't get the courtesy of. Um, but, uh, so I was grateful for that. And, but it's a big um, enough deal that you're going to get a phone call, like you'd expect a phone call, Oh, it was call, an amazing right? phone call, too, because yeah. he was, like, so so gracious and so effusive. And so, like, we're really sad that this is that he's this is what's going to happen. But here's the three-episode arc that's going to make it happen. Dude. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome, <laughs> yeah. he said. And I was like, well, it sounds like a hell of a way to go out. And it turned out to be an amazing demise for this, um, what began as a kind of auxiliary like a secondary supporting character and then for me to literally take it over yeah. all but briefly um well, it was just it was like childhood childhood wish fulfillment at its greatest you know yeah um i know that a lot of people rediscovered or discovered for the first time battlestar uh, in their early months of the pandemic Oh, really? Yeah, because we're all at home. People are oh. like, what can I watch? And so they watch one streaming service to the end. And then people are like, oh, all of Battlestar is on Amazon Prime. We're going to watch right. that to the end. You know, when you're hearing from, you know, what, what is some of the feedback that you love hearing, especially from people who are discovering it now for the uh, first time? I mean, it's amazing. It's perpetuating itself now, too. Like you've got grownups who watched it when they were younger now showing it to their kids and their kids are are you know jamming out on it so i mean i think it's just a phenomenon um i'm forever ever grateful for it i will never uh begrudge being stopped in a grocery aisle while i'm choosing cucumbers to you know for someone to say you know how much they love the show like that's just that's amazing. You know, that is a very specific. I'm just saying that because it, spe it specifically <laughs> happened very recently. Was that the and most random? And it wasn't like, unlike it has been. I've also gone through this whole like Taika YTT phase, where one out of every five times I'm stopped, particularly in the summer when I'm more tanned, um, it's because they think I'm Taika. Oh, which is wacky. It's a wacky thing and slightly awkward for both parties because they're like, oh, and I'm like, mm, mm. I don't think I'm who you think. No, Battlestar. I was like, yes. Oh, what a great. <laughs> do you? Can you do it, Taika? I'm working on it. Um, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I think we'd be quite simpatico. Um, you know, um, fush and trips. That's the only thing I know how to say. <laughs> fush and trips. Um, okay, yeah, working on it. I don't want to be an imposter. Had, I don't want to be an impersonator. You had me up until fish and chips. That's how they say it. Fush and chops. Anyway. I, I had no idea. Um, We're learning things. So many things. Mostly about me, but I guess that's the whole point. That is. I mean, yeah. if you have any questions for me, uh, that's, t that's totally fine. Um, 
I, it's so strange how I've kind of set up all my questions that I wanted to ask you too, because it's like theater, on-camera stuff, voice actor, composer, you know, like I, I just, I, I don't know how to, to move from one to the next. And I guess my question- I don't either, I just do know, it. You just do it. Yeah. But how, like what is, what is the relationship? Make it make sense for me, Alessandro. The relationship between your on-camera work, your voice work, your theater work, your, you know, like is, is there, like does one, does one inform all the others? Um, Come on, sure they do. Sense. Yeah, they do. I promise. No, I. Uh, <laughs> is that the most honest that you've been today? <laughs> Look, there's. I mean, it like to be totally like boring and practical about it. It's like having that many irons in the fire. If you if you're if sort of fortunate enough to be able to kind of keep all those balls in the air, it lets you focus on one when another one is not really happening. And it keeps, um, without a doubt, it informs, particularly like working behind the camera or on the other side of the stage hugely informs the next time I'm up on the stage or mm. it can't help but give you a different perspective. It literally is a different perspective. Um, so yeah, that's been amazing. And I, I've had the great, you know, you know, pleasure and, um, honor to work with some amazing artists over the years, you know, and, and sit in, in rehearsals for incredible performances. Um, you know, chief among them is my partner in life, Meg, Meg Rowe, who's a- Oh, we put respect be, on Meg Rowe's name here. Utterly frank. She's the real actor in the family. She is also like an accomplished and consummate director now. Um, and she directed and you, right? She directed me in Henry V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a big, fun summer. Um, so, yeah, I, I've had, I've had my, my sort of like- mm, Fingers are in a lot of pies. Okay, so I just want you to be aware. I don't aware. like one kind of pie. You I were... like many kinds of pie. You also like a lot sometimes of Sometimes in the same bite. You, you talked about that you had irons in the fire, balls in the air, and fingers yeah, in the pie. There you so... go. I love it. How many more metaphors can I come up with? I, I, think, I think that's it. I think that's it. Okay, I want to talk about... No, we're done. We're done. Uh, okay, so now we're moving to voice acting, which is a whole Another finger. That's of, another pie. Yeah. Another finger, another yeah. pie. But it's where it all began. It's where, it's where when I was, you know, 12-year-old wonky voice... Uh, AJ, that's yeah. kind of where I kind of first sort of felt like, oh wow, this is cool. Maybe I could do this. Um, so it's my, it's my wheelhouse. Like it's my yeah. base. Voice work is my like. And I'm obs I'm obsessed with the idea. I have no. I've never been in a voice booth. Okay. Um, it's I'm obsessed with like learning. This. But it's a kitchen table. <laughs> it's like a kitchen table yeah. with like all these things that don't actually work really well. Cause like, you know. Depending on the studio. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I know that things have changed in the, the that part of the industry because of COVID, because of, you know, people recording from home yeah. or recording on their own. But, you know, I, lo I love to hear, you know, about like the kind of magic that can happen, especially when you have everybody together. You know, tell me, tell me, tell me what goes on in there. Tell me. Um, well, I mean, yeah, like it's, it's, I mean, it really is the best one. It's the best of all the gigs. Let's be frank. Like I wasn't even going to ask you that no, question because I thought it was it so is. unfair. Of all of the pies, it's like the, it's the primo pie because, uh, you know, when you're, when, when, back when we used to do it all in a room, you're all in there, you are, 
just literally depending on the show of course but you know you're literally just trying to crack each other up a lot of the time <laughs> or do something outrageous or top the thing you just heard before that's what's kind of been removed from the process in the last pando years but mm. it's slowly coming back maybe i don't know if it'll ever fully come back hopefully um that's so much fun and it it's you don't have to shave you barely have to wear pants like it's really my it's, it's just bonkers how chef's kiss often the voice performers who come on here talk about just not really having to wear pants yeah hygiene i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> i clean up good but i'd really rather not well thank thank you for i cleaned up for today prioritizing Big hygiene time. today i appreciate I sure did. that what is the you know of all the because i've recently had somebody on who voiced um an egg pirate literally a pirate that was a. Uh, Mm-hmm. An egg. Okay. Um, what what are what are some of the more um, strange uh, characters, animals, monsters, inanimate objects that <laughs> you have voiced? I think Vincent Tong told me about being a piece of sushi once. Oh God! Ian right. Hanlon was the egg pirate. Uh huh. Um, um, gosh, I'd have to think about that a little bit. Um, I mean, one of I mean, without a doubt, L in Death Note is one of the more memorable characters that yeah. I've ever had to play had the you know that's not a potato that's not a potato um, or a piece of sushi uh, or a piece of cake although he probably would enjoy eating <laughs> a piece of cake yeah um, but yeah that's been yeah the whole death note kind of rekindling as well has been a real trip to again see this new gen of kids yeah. preteens middle schoolers discover the show just as they did years ago 18 16 years ago when we did it that's crazy wait has it been that long it has yeah mm-hmm. that's how stop <laughs> time is not moving faster <laughs> that's how long we've been doing this wow um there has been a lot of talk recently in uh well, in, I mean, honestly, in so many different parts of the industry around AI, specifically, though, in the voice industry around scraping and creating people's voices, you know, mm. using AI technology. Are you you concerned about that, about that trend at all or any other of the, the trends that have to do with AI and their impact <laughs> on the industry? I mean, I was on Battlestar. Of course, I'm concerned. <laughs> I can see where this all goes. <laughs> I know where I know how this ends, Sabrina. It doesn't end even well. I didn't What is wrong with me? Of course, me? I, I do. Um, connection. Fuck. I am. Am I concerned about it? I, I'm. I'm concerned, curious, intrigued by the whole AI sort of. Um, and if you, you know, we're just dipping a toe. Let's be frank in this, right? Um, Not a finger, like in the pie. Yeah, no, I wouldn't <laughs> put my toe in a pie. Come on. <laughs> I'm not that flexible anymore. <laughs> um, but like it is an interesting tool. Like I'm thinking of it in, in terms of um, like I just wrote the music for a show in Calgary and the set designer, projection designer, used AI to create imagery for the projection backdrop. And it looked like impressionistic paintings mm. that were gorgeous but that never existed but were very specifically meant to evoke you know she sort of gave a half a dozen artists that she wanted it to sort of look like and yeah. then from that curated from the 500 to 200 no more yellow more this 
so there's a there's still a human element to it that is a kind of curation yeah um but i just worry that we'll end up being the ones who are curated ourselves without getting too dystopian about it <laughs> okay i'm gonna give that final word on that yeah, to, okay. uh, to gata right let's move there. on i want to move on to i want to <laughs> You're laughing. This is your your timeline, your career, Yo. your containing multitudes. I'm just trying to talk about all of it. Okay. We are huge fans of Agam Darshi here. Yeah, there you go. The, There's a whole other at thing at the pod. Uh, and I know that you know you you worked with Agam on Donkey Head. I did. Um, that I mean, like, is it, can, can we talk about <laughs> so like you know, Donkey Head was very exciting because we got to see. I mean, Agam wrote it. Agam started it. And then also had an incredible troupe of actors with her, and she directed it, you know, and it was a big deal because it was her, you know, feature film directorial debut. Yeah. What kind of conversations did you have with Agam about what she wanted, you know, from the music? What did that collaboration look like? Oh yeah, that I mean that came out of sort of left field too. I think, um, as I remember, she was referred to me by Marcy House, who I see Marcy T House, Marcy! who I see on your wall, who's a great pal. You must know from theater. I know her from theater. Yeah, Meg cast Marcy in The Miracle Worker at the Playhouse. And I think it was Marcy's first gig in Vancouver. The Playhouse. So remember that? Yeah. So, so yeah, Marcy's a pal. But she's also a great advocate for peeps that she... um, she digs and believes in. Uh, yeah. I think that, I think pretty sure she was the matchmaker on that. Anyway, or one of the matchmakers on that. Um, uh, I love that you're like looking at the wall. I'm looking like, at the wall. Who else could it be? Maybe it was, no, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Vina, it wasn't Rukia. Hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, I look at this wall and I can't help but be like, what took you so long, Sabrina? Jeez, like, good grief. Like, look, like. <laughs> I'm, I'm just teasing I, you. Okay, but I also, I didn't have a line to you. It was kind of weird. I guess we know a lot of people in common. Every single person on this wall is aligned to me pretty I much. I know, but I, I like to also kind of like discover people like organically <laughs> so I can just text them. Yeah, I love so, it. I go with the flow too. Here we you know are. I mean? We're in the flow. Um, that sounds weird. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'm keeping it in there. Just keeping the flow. The flow. What were we talking about? And oh, no Agam. Agam. Donkey, donkey head. head. Yeah, amazing. That just came out of left field. Some We got put together. Um, I never scored a featured before. Uh, really? I'd, I'd scored a, a few shorts for friends and another sh- and and you know for an NFB short for. Wait, so it was your it was hey, your have you feature interviewed... film debut as well. It was my feature film debut. It seemed for... like a good match, sort of yeah. risky. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like we could both lean on a wealth of experience in that specific thing. Yeah. But we were both kind of taking the leap together. That seemed kind of cool. Who were you going to say? Have you ever interviewed? Hey, have you ever interviewed Anne-Marie Fleming? I love Anne-Marie Fleming. Okay. You should interview her. She's Yeah, she's fantastic. And I also, um, I used to host a series at VIF, Fan City Theater, mm-hmm. that was about like, it was called, um, I forget what it was called. It was their thing. But it was about uh, women filmmakers choosing like a film that they love mm-hmm. uh, from from anywhere else in the world and then they would come in and like present it and then we'd have a conversation about it yeah i don't remember the name of the series it was a while ago but yeah she she chose um i think it, her film was called joan of arc of mongolia whoa yeah it was in it, it was, was a in, comedy 
Cool. <laughs> no, yeah. no. There was like a train and then we were in Mongolia. Anyway, it was beautiful. Yurts but, for you days. Know. Yeah. Okay. So, so did you work with, with her then? Yeah. Her? Yeah. Okay. Anne-Marie Fleming. I don't know why she popped into my head. NFB. NFB. Oh, I did a I did a uh, an animated short for her. This crazy animated short called Big Trees that she wrote about a woman poisoning the trees in her view. Anyway, that was cool. That was a long time ago. I, I digress. You should interview Anne-Marie Fleming. You already knew that. That'll happen organically. Organically. Like you said, maybe this is the This seed. is the, the moment. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, that did kind of sound weird. Yeah. You made it sound weird. I know I did. Yeah. Uh, and, but with Agam, yeah, we, we, I'd never met her. What? For all the concentric circles that I'm looking at, you were giving wall, me a hard never, time. We'd never met. We had many, many similar, like you know, people in common. We'd never actually um, met. I think you know, Meg wow. had even Meg had met her, but not me. Anyway, so we met. It was a strange time in both of our lives. I was like moving out of a house for you know uh, to, that we were renovating. I was moving into a new place. So I, I remember we. She came over to the the rental place that we were renting. We had no furniture in there, and um, like all I had was like a little kitty table <laughs> and these little chairs. So we like sat one of those IKEA little, tables. Like, yeah, like a little low little, and we sat this little kitty table, and that's where you know some of it was born. Um, it was a cool collaboration. She had really specific ideas going into the what she like what her inspirations were for the music, but she was also incredibly open to. Like, what about this? What about that? And I think in the end, we found a pretty happy place, a compromise in between those two things of, um, yeah, something that, that sort of fit and fit her. It's, it's her film yeah, and her character's film. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think the music that we came up with was, was, was suited to that. And it was a cool process to do. I'm sorry, I'm completely, I like, and I know the film turned out and the music turned out and yeah. everything, but the idea of the two of you sitting at one of those little Ikea tables on no, little chairs literally. and you're like, that just seems so stressful. I think it was, was there a moment where you're like, I can't do this? <laughs> well, I think we were literally watching the rough cut of the film with a splitter, not unlike us right now, and two headphones on a laptop, Yeah. right? But sitting at this little Ikea table because it's all I had, this little tiny kid's table. Um, and, you know, no point in trying to be pretentious or highfalutin when you're there kind of yeah. just got down to it and um <laughs> yeah it was cool it was a cool thing i i would like to do more of that i was it was fun to um try something i hadn't done before yeah um and it definitely whet the appetite for more of that fantastic yeah fantastic good i'm i'm still kind of shocked that that was your the first feature film that you scored i'm just oh yeah wow yeah all downhill from there <laughs> No. Okay, now I want to talk about fans. Okay, fans. I want to talk about fans and fandom because yeah. how I found you organically, or not so, was because you're appearing at Fan Expo Vancouver. Yeah, fig, go figure. Yeah. Wacky. And I'm appearing for Death Note. For Death Note. Just for Death Note. Yeah. I mean, uh, people can come up and talk to me about other stuff, but like, no. There is a new, there is a, a slightly, certainly I could never predicted this happening. There's been a, re a huge resurgence in interest in anime in general, let's be honest. I don't know if it ever went away, but it's just I've suddenly jumped into the stream 
the, it's like, uh, you know, finding Nemo, jumping into the stream yeah. with the turtles, like all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, this has been here this whole time. Um, of, you know, anime fandom and Death Note in particular, huge following. I knew that it had a cult following back in the yeah. day, you know, but again, pandemic uh, thing, it dropped on, on the streamers again. Yeah. Whole new generation of people watched it. And now um, there's a great interest and appetite for um, me signing their stuff and talking about the show that I really had to go back and watch because let's be honest. Go. They probably know more about it they than do. you do. Oh, than they you do. do. Yeah. When you go to conventions, be it for for Death Note or for Battlestar, I'm assuming you've done, have you done any for I've Battlestar? I've done a few. I've done yeah. not as many as some of my cohorts, but I've done, you know, half a dozen over the years yeah. maybe. Um, what do people want to know? And, and, you know, what if you, because I also feel... I mean, I started. I started as a fan. A little, a little. I mean, if you're looking here. Oh, I love your collection. My Star Trek: The Next Generation figures are from when I was 12 years old. Okay. Well, it's not that far you know? off from me. I had Battlestar figures from when I was a kid, from the Lauren Green. No, yeah, Lauren yeah. Green yeah. from the original. Um, Dirk Benedict. I had I had action figures from oh that God. show, and then 20 some odd years later. I was an action figure, right? Like it's that's wild. Yeah, that's a gap in my collection. Yeah. I'm sad. I'm sad to say, but this is all like original, like fan stuff from my from my childhood. So I like I I I I love fans and fandom yeah. as, as much as I love the people who make the work that we're fans of. You know, and I feel like there's opportunities of learning on both sides. Like, what do you learn from your encounters with the fans? You know, oh do you get gosh. any any especially like anything about even the work that you do? Well, of course, it's, it's, you know, um, it's incredible to go to these conventions and, and to be relentlessly appreciated. <laughs> I mean, that just purely like ego wise, you're thing down, you know, that's lovely boost. Um, I also find the, the culture of fandom to be endlessly fascinating. Mm. I I was not expecting to be so moved by it the first time I went to one. Mm -hmm. I think there's an I think there's I don't know, there's untapped stories or something within that whole culture. I have this idea it's so like it's an infant stage, but I do feel like there's a great something to be written or created about that world or set within that world. Yeah. Um a musical an opera a freaking movie, I don't care what it is, but something um i was moved by the the feeling of belonging um and it was clear that it was clear from like the one of the very first ones i ever went to that as much as we were the draw at times and the attraction that the folks were there as much for each other as they were for us for the community and for the community that they've created. yeah of course yeah. and and that we were the attraction and we were but you know you almost could have substituted yachting or um you know anything really i love that the only thing that you could come up with was yachting <laughs> well i was trying to think of something really specific <laughs> that's very niche. specific yeah. yeah yachting um yeah. you know it could be a knot tying club i don't know but the <sighs> They 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 yeah. they come to see each other every year at these events. They feel safe. They feel um, 
stay themselves, feel celebrated and and seen, and um, sometimes maybe they don't um, in the same way outside in of other parts in of other their parts life. of their yeah. world, other parts of their lives. So I think that's beautiful, and to be a part of that ecosystem in some way seems really cool. I can't wait to see what you create in that world. Yeah, maybe I will. I think you need to. Yeah, I might. Then you come back and talk about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or I don't know. Maybe maybe we do a podcast. Maybe, yeah, maybe you should be in it or something. Yeah. Maybe someone should make an action figure of you. I think they should. Oh, Have my they God. Yet? No. Oh, that's going to happen. <laughs> With like the, the really bad splitter for the headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel... Can I call you AJ? Yeah, I feel I, like I call you could have called me AJ now. from the get-go. No, but I feel like I have more of a sense yeah. now as we reach the end, I think. Of this chapter. Of this chapter. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the stuff that has has been before today. And next time, you'll talk more about... Stuff to come. The stuff to come. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll save up some stuff. Some so stuff. I'll save up some stuff to talk about. People ask you questions. I know I can't talk about this. I'm saving it for Sabrina. This is for Sabrina. This is for Sabrina. Um, I, I, I think I'd like to end thinking about a young version of yourself, a little kid version, you yeah. know, of yourself. The 10-year-old, 11-year-old, such a great age. Choir boy? The choir yeah, boy? The choir boy. What <laughs> what do you what do you think uh, that he would think? of this life that you've built for yourself? Oh, come on, he'd think, he think it was super cool, chawsome, totally chawsome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, come on, it's, I said it earlier, it's childhood wish fulfillment, the whole thing is, yeah. right? It's like the make-believe games I played on my own, you know, uh, I ended up getting to play them in real time with on ships where the lights turned on when you push the buttons. Mm. And um, I got to, you know, build a community and a home and a family here with all of the benefits that that provided me. I, I you know, I think the 10 year old me would be like, yeah, sounds great. You go. And you're an action figure. And I'm an action figure and a Lego figure and I don't know what else. A Funko Pop. Oh, fantastic. All those things. All those things. Wow. Okay. AJ, Alessandro, Giuliani. <laughs> Sabrina. <laughs> Sabrina Rani. <Firmanger>. <laughs> It's my husband. He's English and Filipino. Firmagers, they're like Franco, German, uh, arrived in England Gorgeous. like 500 years ago. Gorgeous um, mixes. Mixy mixies. Yeah, mixies. Mixie and the half-breeds. Yeah, the half-breeds. All of them. That was so good. That Beauties. Play. Where are you? You're on the socials, right? Oh, just bare, like not even a toe, like a fingernail, like a, <laughs> like a piece of, like a hangnail okay. on the socials. So yeah, you can put them. It's disgusting. <laughs> I'm just trying to like repel people from, no, don't follow me. <laughs> it will not be worth it. I am. I very occasionally post something. I try to just stay away from them. <laughs> 
which is I'm sure to my detriment to my career. Love I all just my can't, listeners are like, oh, we I can't wait to follow don't him now. Care enough about <laughs> myself or my food. I don't like to make. This is the great great irony of this career that I've built. I have built it, but I also, like I said, I do just go with the flow, and I am try to be somewhat, I think it has served me well to be somewhat zen about it. I don't necessarily like to make a spectacle of myself. So I just can't devote my time, my, my time to making little spectacles of myself daily or monthly or whatever it would take. I'm just happy to like, let it be. <laughs> I don't know if I want to laugh. Please do. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen somebody push their social media accounts so hard. It's reverse psychology, right? I'm like, nah, you don't want to be there. Uh, All right. Well, you can find. Um, you can try to find me. You can try to find them. It might be there. Yeah. Usually I end in a very enthusiastic way. Like, okay, great. Follow them. But yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. There's no judgment. Just, you know, not my bag. <laughs> <laughs> You're an absolute delight. Please, please come back. Um, it's been really fun. And that, how long was that? That was so long. Really? Pretty long. It's 2.30. Oh, God. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. save it. I'm saving a bunch. Okay. We didn't even get to, yeah. Well, I have so much to talk about next time. What didn't we get to? So much. Okay. Next time. Bye. All right. Listeners, thank you. Thank you for staying. <laughs> I don't mean how that sounded. It was a wonderful conversation. Alessandro Giuliani, you're delightful. Uh, listeners, please like, please like, subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the fucking rad one we had today. See, that? that is how you yeah. sell something, Alessandro Giuliani. I'm fucking rad. Yeah, she's <laughs> fucking rad. Okay, you can find us at YVRScreenScene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Mastodon at YVRScreenScene and at Sabrinarf. And yeah, I do like to make a spectacle of myself and frankly, my cats. So much cat content. Uh, on an hourly basis. Okay. Why Screen Scene Podcast, hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, DeViller for the original music. Wavir Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. Were you laughing? It is dynamic. It is, no, I just love it. I'm, you are like the the lighthouse keeper for uh, for Vancouver film for screen. Like you, that's the that's the image that I get. A you're lighthouse like on keeper. the top of the cliff. Yeah. With this huge beam of light just shining in out into the fog. Love it. That should be your action figure. Fuck yeah! All right and cut. Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short, or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, 
Visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.